Hi again, everybody. It's me, JR Man. How are you? Another edition of your Life's Work podcast, day 14 in the big social media fast. Robin Wotanik. This woman is going to rip your face off. That's all there is to it. Dear friend, wonderful, I mean, dear friend, my, my very endearing nickname for her, two dudes with knives. You'll get it. Anyways, fantastic. Met her a billion years ago. One of the most talented people I've ever met. And uh, we're going to talk about her life and all kinds of shenanigans. Hey, I'm JR Man. JRMan.com. JR at JRMan.com. And there's a number on the website. Call me. I'm a spiritual director, mentor. I help with the big things in your life. Relationships, faith, career. You got stuff to talk about? You got a big decision to make? Let me help. Don't don't wander and waif through life without getting something going on. Don't do that. Don't do that. Anyways, that's me. Here's Robin. Hello. Who is this? <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that. I, uh, are you okay? How's things? How's it going? Yeah, good. All right. Yeah, no, I'm good. Well, good. This has been a great conversation, and I appreciate it. (laughs) Appreciate it. Yeah. I I have to confess, I think I listened to one of your podcasts when you first started it, and then... You're like... I've been terrible about... What a nut. Uh, what a crazy nut. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 must, you yeah. must think I'm nuts, right? I mean, seriously, what's your opinion of what I'm doing? Like, you just think, he's just crazy as hell. No, not at all. I feel like, knowing you, I guess none of the decisions that you have made along the way since I've known you have truly surprised me. <laughs> um... You know, I think I was initially surprised when you first got out of TV, you know, to go and start the church and all of that. But then from there on out, I mean, when I really thought about it, it made total sense and spoke to your character. And then every subsequent decision, I mean, no. I mean, I I feel like you are destined for the kind of path that you're taking. I feel like you're built to be the kind of person who, you know brings other people up and everything. And so just what I've seen from, you know, what you're posting on social media and everything like that, I mean, it all makes sense to me. Uh, I have a tendency to think I'm nuts, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> any, okay, so forget me. We're rolling, by the way. We're, this, we're recording. There's no not. Got it. There's no, yeah, you get this. <laughs> all right, so uh, for the next 40 days, so since January 1st, I've been social media fasting. Like, I've just had enough of it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I like yeah. it's a big pain in the ass. Is it a pain in the ass for you sometimes or no? Um, no, I feel like, I mean, I, I definitely feel like I have pulled back from, like, Facebook in probably the last year or more because I feel like I find that the value I get out of it uh, that I've once got is not equal, but I would say it does. I do enjoy that. It keeps me connected to other people. And I feel like also I use it more now as like a way to find out what's happening around town or 
school events or syncing it to my calendar. But, like, outside of that, I mean, I I think it would be interesting to go on a fast because I have not done that. I know people have done that. You know, for, like, Lent, they've done it for 40 days or they've just, you know, deleted it off their phone uh, so they're not as tempted to check it all the time. And I think I haven't tried any of those. <laughs> but I also don't feel – I'd like to say I don't feel like I'm I'm super addicted and that it would it would be a big – a big break to eliminate it. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. So, well, first, before we go any further, tell everybody who you are, where you live, what your social status is, your kids, you know, all that stuff. Give us sure. a, give us a snapshot oh. of Robin Wochanik. <laughs> well, uh, Robin Wochanik, I am 42 years old. I live in the tri cities of Washington, the beautiful tri cities, which is considered the, most polluted place in the Western Hemisphere. Shut up. Um, is it really? Is it really? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Why? Yeah, Why is it? Where the... they built, this is where they built the bomb that they dropped on Nagasaki. Wow. And they didn't exactly store the materials used to build the, bomb, build the bomb. Like, they enriched the uranium here. And so all that, like, glowing stuff is, here and and we do have like radioactive tumbleweeds oh my. that are you know caught in this on site and whatever where out where the, the nuclear site is and where they did this because there's a nuclear plant out there too so we've got the nuclear plant and we've got and we've got the massive hazardous waste cleanup site and I decided that was the perfect spot to raise my family so <laughs> I came out here in um, exactly uh, 13 years ago, uh, came out here for a TV job, uh, worked as a news director out here for just about a decade, managing two newsrooms, two small market newsrooms about 80 miles apart. So that was a challenge. Mm. And then I left that to uh, have more time with my kids. And somehow I am way busier I feel like than I was when I had a full-time job because now I've collected three part-time jobs and I seem to like never say no to volunteering and so I write I freelance for the local business journal I work for a nonprofit that uh promotes STEM education and then I also substitute teach in high school oh you're a you're a substitute high school teacher holy crap just imagine me in that role I don't know if that would be a dream or a nightmare. I'm like trying to think about that one. Like, like you, like you would probably chuck me out of your class in like a second and a half. That I take, and I, I prefer high school because, as I always say, I feel like the kids like. I, I feel like you get really far with just how how you say the word really, like really, 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 really. <laughs> they kind of, they just kind of get it, and I mean, yeah. Um, you and I met in a newsroom in Cleveland, Ohio, and, um, you know, I, I, so, you know, as I'm doing this social media pass, I'm like doing a podcast every day and reaching out to the people that like really like had something to do with my crazy life. And you're not one of those. And, um, and I'm like, you were honest to God, like maybe fifth or sixth person on that list. I'm like, gotta talk to Robin. Well, I'm. I'm flattered to hear you say that. 
what what about I, you what about you and I keeps us you and I because you and I have one of those relationships where we cannot talk for half a year and then just pick it up like it was yesterday that we talked. What is that? More than half a year, I would say. I mean, I think I could go years without, you know, talking to you. Not, not that I would want to, but at the same time, I mean, people don't really pick up their phone anymore. So I get I that. Don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it is. And I felt like, I mean, and I, I think that, I think I've always, um, until, I think until people meet you or until people see me interact with you, which I would say has probably been limited um, as far as people in my life, essentially, that like, I feel like I have a very hard time articulating and having people actually understand what you mean to me in my life and how just your existence, your personality has always been this influential person in my life, like just the way that you and I think it was more your leadership skills than anything that you're just such a natural leader and you make people want to follow you in a good way. They they want to respond to you. They want to be in your aura. They want to be in supporting whatever you are, you know, have turned your sights on. And so I feel like, you know, I, I, I didn't work with you for a massively long amount of time, you know, a couple of years or whatever before you had left. And then I took your role and I felt like, you know, there was no way I could even attempt to, you know, fit the shoes that, that you once held. And then once I, you know, a few years later ended up becoming a news director, I felt like there were so many times that I thought back on the, like, WWJR do like <laughs> as far as management decisions or how I, I dealt with people. And I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I, I guess there's, there's something about you that I always felt drawn to you and understood you and felt like you understood me and, yeah, I yeah, feel like, the, you know, you're somebody I, who would be in my life forever, yeah, regardless. Yeah, and, and I think that's where I was going. I never, like, you know, when I think about you and I, um, and there's only a handful that, that and, and, you know, I mean, I'm not, you know, I hope nobody's disappointed about that, but there's only a handful of people that I, like, when you meet them, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're, we're, to, we're at each other's funerals without a doubt, and we're also cracking <laughs> smart-ass jokes while we're at the funeral, for sure. Like, that, like that's the kind of thing. It's like, you know, oh, did you know Robin? Oh, of course I did. And then you end up telling a story. But, I mean, I, I just have, I always felt very known by you. And I always felt, I always felt like I knew you very well, too. And, and so there's, like, a, a thing with certain people in my life that you can, e- you can go quickly, deeply, or deeply, quickly. Right. And, and, that's yeah. always, and that's always been you. I, I mean, and truth be told, when I got to KYC in, in uh, Cleveland, like I, I was a brand new manager. I had no damn clue what the hell I was doing on the line. Like I can remember somebody saying, That's true. yeah, yeah so, somebody said to me, Hey, have you ever uh, pro- actually produced a half hour television news show? And I'm like, well, technically. <laughs> and then, and then you yeah, arrived. I, I, I don't know when you got there compared to when I got there. I don't know how long you had been there or anything, but I remember, like, at some point realizing along the way that you didn't know how to produce. And I was like, what? 
sucked. And, <laughs> and I mean, you know, and that was partly because, you know, not only did you know a newscast inside and out, but at the same time, just, I was kind of like, how did this person necessarily get into this position if they'd never produced a newscast before? But then at the end of the day, it wasn't about producing a newscast and like you weren't in that role because you knew or didn't know how to produce a newscast. You knew how to lead a team and especially lead a team at such a like terrible, you know, time as far as like a shift went that all of us there at, you know, coming in in the middle of the night. And I mean, it's an easy recipe to hate your job and hate what you're doing and look for reasons to say, this is the worst shift and I need to get off the shift and when can I get to the 5 p.m. show and, and whatever the case was. And I mean, I will always look back as, at my years in Cleveland as the most fun shop I worked at and uh, as far as that crew went. Oh and I mean, gosh, and I eventually yeah. did work on the evening shows and, and I, you know, I wanted to get back to the mornings as soon as I could. But then once you were gone, it wasn't the same either. Yeah, the, I mean, it just wasn't. The I think of our time, all of us together, and there was you know half a dozen of us. Um, I I love to tell the story. I mean, there's a in and, and it just became magic for me. Like there's kind of three TV moments in my life. I spent three decades in the TV business, and so there is like three seasons that were just like magic and they weren't magic because you know yeah the show did climb to number one or and, and yeah we all were really succinct and and really firing on the same page at one level but man it was magic for that little team back then and I and, and I tell people this and I think some people think I'm bullshitting when I tell them after 9-11 we all jumped in a car and went to New York City to not only as as kind of a hey we were curious about what what happened in New York but we did it like because we all loved one another and we just wanted to hang out and have a good time but like people think I'm I tell people that I'm like I threw all the producers in the car and we drove to New York City from Cleveland Ohio to look at 911 <laughs> you know to look at ground zero to have that experience with and one another a huge part was because Michael had never been there oh that that's was, right that was a huge that's that right Atkinson was Yes, we were all about, like, you know, because we had the running list of things Michael didn't know, you know, including that Stevie Nicks was not a man and, you know, <laughs> the Aurora Borealis, a.k.a. the Northern Lights. He had not heard either of those terms in his life, and he was just give the dude of 23... <laughs> Yeah, Mike. Michael was like, and Michael's another producer on the show. So Michael, who is twenty three, yeah. like you would say, here, here's what I loved about how he would answer because you would say, you would say, you would like, I don't know, somebody would write in a script the Aurora Bore. You can see the Aurora Borealis tonight, blah blah. Yeah. blah. And Michael, would, Michael would just sincerely, unapologetically, and just very innocently go, "What the hell is the Aurora Borealis?" <laughs> 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 and we don't and we would all stop like have you ever read like a like a book like is there a book like how, like you know like i sure i don't know how to line produce but shit i know what the aurora borealis is <laughs> yeah and i would have to i would just uh, slide open the drawer and pull out the the yellow notepad where i had the running list but i would just add another thing to it and i know i threw out that list and i'm so mad that i did because uh, I've looked for it at times, uh, you know, in my old work stuff or whatever, and I'm like, man, that was a good list. And because <laughs> I remember one of them too that I remember, 
I used the word sliders in a <laughs> in a script, and Michael thought it was like an insult because he said he'd only heard sliders referred to when you were talking about White Castle because they slide right back out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was like, what? What are you talking about? I think it's just a term for mini burgers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so 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 crazy. What? How do you, when you were a news director? So you 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 let you leave Cleveland, you go be a news director. Were there ways that you helped people into the present as a team that allowed them to also have that like kind of look at like, hey, this might be one of the greatest times of your lives? Because I know, and this is just for me, like I led a team, the last team that I led was a couple years ago, the Fox in San Diego. And I took great, great strides in making sure that all these people like looked at each other at some point during the day and stopping them and going, hey, this, this could be like a real defining like team and moment and friendship and love like in your life because i mean let's face it most business most people in the business are like yeah shut up jr let's just roll out the bo but how how did you help people into that or 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 didn't you i didn't no i mean i i guess i mean i'd like to say that i did but if i'm being honest i mean i i would say the focus was my personal focus certainly was more on turning people, you know, I mean, these were people hired right out of college who, you know, this is their first job, uh, you know, ever. And I mean, they didn't know how to report their way out of a paper bag in most cases. And so I was more focused on getting the best from them and turning them into quality reporters that then could command a presence in a future newsroom uh, more, you know, in, in, that was more my focus, I guess I would say. And, and I'd like to think that, uh, you know, and I know, I mean, looking back, I can tell you that if one of my reporters was listening to this conversation, they would probably say, no, it was not one of the best times of my life. Like Robin was really freaking hard on us and expected a lot of us. And I did. And, you know, I mean, and I guess I would say in a lot of ways, I would make no apologies for that because at the same time, the people who did, you know, churn through my school of hard knocks and uh, my my level of high expectations and everything that I I get calls from them now that say, I'm so glad you expected so much from me. I'm so glad that like there I wanted to quit so many times and you know they talk about crying in the edit bay or something because. because of the way that I was cracking the whip or whatever. But then when they had hindsight, they looked back and they realized like I wasn't just, you know, expecting a lot from them for the sake of expecting a lot. It was, I expected a lot from the people that I knew could perform at that level because they would, I would also hear it that you don't expect as much from so-and-so. And it was like, well, to be honest, I don't because I don't see that they can have, I don't see that they have the ability to perform the way that I think you can. You can and yeah. so I am going to accept for the record, it sounds like you did do that. I mean, I, I wouldn't say you didn't because, you know, my, my affectionate nickname for you has always been two dudes with knives. So it's like, you right. know, I mean, I don't, I, I that, that holds incredible value formatively. Like, you know, somebody who's coming into the business and gets you like, 
holy crap. I mean, that's uh, like skip college. Where's Robin? You know, let let I know for me, like learning from you, like I can remember a couple times hovering over your scripts while you yelled at me about, you know, something in, in, in knowing that you had that value of teaching. You had that value of discipline. You had a sharpness about you, which I, I think I think it's missed in this business today. I mean, gosh, if you yell at an intern in the newsroom today, they you're you know you get a hashtag next to your name and you got to go to HR. Right. Yes. What and is- especially if you're a woman, if you're a woman, you get the bitch label versus you know the you know oh he's tough or something like that. I mean, you know, it just it's so much more likely. But I you know, and the thing is, honestly, like I would think uh, like a big part of like my philosophy and my expectations were that I remember you always saying news is news and I would try to just like explain that to them that like that sounds like such a simple phrase but you you have to realize like news is news and just because we're in a small market doesn't mean we need to follow the paper doesn't mean we need to you know do the 86 story about how the Red Cross is really in need of blood or that, you know, <laughs> right. the airport is busy because it's Thanksgiving or something like that. Like, let's, news is news, and, and we need to find that news, you know, even even in this, this small market. And so that was where, you know, and, and I mean, and I remember also just from the time that I would sit in the um, editorial meeting there in Cleveland, and I remember the assignment. Uh, managers, especially Lisa Lowry there, how, like, we would all meet, essentially, before the reporters would walk in, and there was kind of, like, that pre-meeting that was going on where it was very clear that, like, there were some reporters who walked in, including the one that I happened to say she was lazy to her face, and maybe that wasn't the best decision in my my career. Um, But... I, uh, but like there were those reporters who just walked in and just were like, what's my story for today? And then there were those reporters who came in and pitched stories. And those were the reporters too, who then it was like the assignment manager pulled the lead out of their back pocket pocket and were like, oh, by the way, I've got this story here. And they were always the ones who were at the top of the newscast versus the ones who walked in and said, what am I doing today? And the ones who said, what am I doing today? Never really figured out why their stories only aired at 508 versus right. 501. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, and I would try to also explain that to my reporters that I, I want you to be the one that's on at 501. I don't want you to be the one that's on at 508. And this is, this is how that's going to happen. What is, what is the state of journalism today? Where, where, where are we at? Because things are, I mean, things are nuts, man. It's crazy. Where, where are we at? Yeah. When you watch, when you, you read. Know, I, mean, I, feel like, I feel like it's hard for me to say with, you know, the being out of a newsroom as far as actually like in the industry and, and what it's, you know, what, what it's like for those journalists. But I mean, as, as a person, obviously, who's looking in from the outside just as much as everybody else, I mean, it's a scary scary time. And I, I think that everybody would agree that I don't know in our lifetime that our profession has ever been more threatened um, or more questioned. And, and I think it's, I think it's uh, certainly scary and, uh, you know, and, and just the, 
you know, obviously those two words, fake news, have really changed the landscape. And and then in addition, you know, it obviously doesn't help when there's journalists, too, who are, you know, you're always going to have some bad apples or something. I mean, I just was reading that there was a journalist there in Seattle who doctored some footage of Trump and made his skin more orange. And oh it's God. like, oh. Yeah, you, what are you doing? You know, like, why did you do that? Why did you ever think that was a good idea? Like, it's not funny. And, you know, and this is a time that, like, everybody has to be, uh, you know, performing on all cylinders and completely on the up and up. And, I mean, and, and just the, the cynicism about what, we do, and the fact that people really don't believe as much anymore is really scary, and it's really upsetting to think that, you know, somebody's hard work could just potentially not be believed because there's so much questioning now about journalists and what their motives are, and, and I always felt like, especially in a small market, I always felt like, oh my God, like, you know, the people who would call up and say that we were biased or whatever, and I was like, you have no idea, like, how this 23-year-old reporter was, you know, shooting their own stuff. They were doing a package and a vote thought and, you know, tweeting and posting to the web and all of this. Like, they didn't even have time to put any bias into that script. They were just wanting me to review it as fast as I possibly could so they could run into the database, so they could run out and shoot their own live shot and whatever. And that it's like, we're not sitting here trying to figure out how we can subtly throw in these little ways of being the, you know, the liberal media and anything like that. And the, the what is it, the lamestream media? And it's just, there's just not time. And and I don't know. And, and at some point, I mean, I think also I, I tend to wonder about the relevancy of journalism as it continues because, I mean, more and more people are not watching local television they're not picking up the paper and they're getting all their news from the the internet and then they don't want to pay for it they don't want to pay for good journalism you know i mean i hear people all the time complaining about like oh yeah well you know i hit the paywall on that so i just you know went to another browser and then i could read three more articles and it's like but do you really understand that like there's i mean i i get it that you want to like you don't really want to pay for the articles that you're reading because you you just want to read them for free because everything on the internet is free for the most part. But at the same time, like, where do you think the quality comes from and, and how do we support that? And how do we continue to make sure that something like another Bell, California, where all those city leaders, all those city council people were making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, way back, whatever that was, 15 yeah. years ago. When they, yeah. And it was like, because nobody had just seen. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was one of those cities that was like, in the LA market, but nobody, you know, was going to FOIA every single city and see what their city council people were making. And nobody was paying attention. And it's like, well, the more that we don't support journalism, the more those stories could happen. Yeah. The, I think the most interesting, because I, I I agree with you. I, I sat in editorial meetings for, you know, like I say, like 30, 30 years. And I don't remember anybody ever bringing a bias in, in the newsrooms I worked in, bringing a bias right. to, to, to any stories. And I certainly don't remember any, uh, any reporter coming to me post doing a story after the writing process was done and, and then weaving through a script and, and, and just seeing an intentional uh, bias. But I, I do see sure. this. I did see this and I saw it quite clearly. The news cycle 
that uh, locals and nationals have gotten into is 24-7. And that means that the levels of checks and balances have like you know it's it it's it's an uneven scale so it's like if yeah. you if if you're rolling like yeah I, I had a five hour I had, I had a five hour morning show you, you know that I you know my last you know Fox I had a five hour morning right. show you want to know what it's like like yeah man there's going to be some pullover scripts from like the four to the ten but at, you right. know at the end of the day if there's let's say there's a hundred and fifty scripts sitting in that sitting in that five hour show. Like, did I, as an EP, did I get to all 150? Probably not. And, and that, and that's just because right. my feature reporter had a hangnail and was crying in the back parking lot and I had to, you know, help her get to her live shot or some bullshit like that. So, I mean, I'm just yeah. like, yo, th- this is where all that comes from. Oh, and by the way, I had a 23 year old producer that's ripping stuff from Daily Mail because somebody's wearing a half bra and a tank top in Barbados. And we got to put that in the A block. So it's yeah. like. It's like people, ju- <laughs> people just don't get that. Like that's a thing. Like that's a real right. thing. So when people are calling me, going, "Hey, Gr, you're an asshole for you know not loving Trump or or hating Hillary or loving Hillary and hating Trump," it's like, do you even think I cared about Trump this morning? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean that's exactly that's exactly right. And I, I mean, I think that you know the. Unfortunately, I, I feel like, you know, you, you tend to only hear that from conservatives. I mean, I hate to say, but you really, I mean, just the suspicion level really is so heightened. And, and the expectation that, you know, there's an agenda, there's some hidden agenda to brainwash or flip the, this by or, or whatever the case is. And I mean, I always felt like that, that it's like if you just sat in the newsroom for like a day, you would see that, I mean, it is just such a machine and you're just at such a frenetic pace all the time and you're just trying to build time all yeah. the time yeah. that, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. And you it's, don't have time to be crafting it some, some way that, that is showing, yeah. showing some slant. Okay. Um, 30 minutes. I only do 30 minutes because that's what I do because that's how it goes. I, cause I get bored, frankly. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so here's part of this exercise too. I just want you to know, and I, and this is what I'm doing. I, I want you to know how much I love you, how much you've meant to me. I love your husband. I love your kids. I love that you live in the most polluted place in the Northern what? hemisphere. I love, I, I have, I have always like, man, from the minute I met you until now, I was super stoked to talk to you today. I'm so, so happy that the universe put us together. So dude, I love you. And you will always be two dudes with not, I'll bring you to any fight, any fight. Like if I have to pick a team for fighting, you're the first it, you're the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, absolutely. I mean, it goes, it goes both ways. And I mean, I, yes, I mean, I love you and, your family and I, I sensed that, and I like I said, I sensed that you were a person who would be in my life uh, for the long term and uh, very quickly. And I sensed that we had something special with our friendship, with the crew that we were on, with the time and space that we were occupying at that time. And I, you know, and it's, it's I'm so you know glad that I had that experience in my life. That I, I know that when I moved to Seattle um, and worked on a morning show immediately after Cleveland. I remember just, I mean, it was horrible. I mean, I hated life. I mean, that's how I ended up here was because I hated my job so much. I had to break my contract and leave the DMA so that I could come and move over here because I had to get, I had to escape this, you know, 
terrible environment I was in, and it was just like, oh, like, if I only go back. And I realized you can never go home again, and it, the crew was not going to be the same, and people had already moved and shifted, and you, you'd last in whatever. But, you know, it's one of those things that I'm just, I'm so grateful that I had that experience and that I had that time, and not that it's gone, but that I can always look back on it and know that those moments are possible and those, you know, bringing those lives together. And, you know, you're not, I mean, and you're not soft-faced when you say about, like, laughing at a funeral because, I mean, if you remember, my mom died during the time that we all worked together. And I remember being so touched that, you know, a bunch of you guys had driven down to her wake in the in the middle of a snowstorm. She died at the end of February. And I it was totally unexpected that, you know, a bunch of the faces of you guys came through the door and I mean, we always had your mom jokes and <laughs> I remember coming back after, you know, burying my mom and within like a couple days, you were like, so too soon to be making your mom <laughs> because it was such a beloved part of our relationship and, and everything, you know, you and Michael mostly were with your mom jokes, but it was like, we don't have to get these up, right? Just because your mom said, like, (laughs) I just want to make sure. Oh my God. Well, I can guarantee you this. I can guarantee you that if I die first, I'm going to make you promise right now that you let the mom jokes go at my, at my funeral. I mean, oh my, like walk right up to my kids and just, because here's the truth. And again, like people like whatever, like I have taught my kids the very value of mom jokes and they do them at the table and we laugh out loud. And it's kind of funny because Diane's sitting there. So it's just kind of funny, but (laughs) because but I'm just saying, man, because if you die first, I'm going all in. Like, it, I'm going yeah. all in, man. And, you know, of yeah, course, <laughs> who, who is that guy at the funeral that was making mom jokes? What is that guy? What's wrong yeah, with Yeah, this flaming red-haired guy came in and he just, like, thought it was funny. <laughs> Anyways, I love you. Yeah. Um, you're the best. Give uh, your give your husband a big old kiss for me and... Uh, Gosh, I hope they clean up that area for your sake. I really do. So yeah, maybe, not in my lifetime, maybe you're gonna die okay. first. Then maybe that's the deal. Yeah, maybe. that that's true. Yeah, so you better polish up, you know, your best of at this point. Okay. So. Well, yeah, I'll start. But I'll thank start. you for the opportunity to talk. I I relish the chance to to chat over the phone and everything, and hopefully. You know, we make our way down to SoCal at some point and can see you guys in person again. Yes. And have a happy fun time. Yes. Love you, babe. We'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Love you. Bye bye. Robin Wotanek. Uh, all right, thanks, Robin. Appreciate you very much. Um, social media fast, 40 days. We're ending February 9th. Podcast every single day. Well, except for the 10th, because I took the 10th off, because I was, well, I just wanted to take the 10th off, so. Anyway, stay the hell away from your phone, will you? Or your computer. Stop liking, DMing, iconing, emojiing, and get face-to-face with somebody. Tell them you love them. Tell somebody you love them. When's the last time you did that? Like, like, like you went, hey, and they went, yeah, I love you. And it wasn't your spouse or your kids. Maybe it's a friend, a boss. Imagine, tell, imagine telling your boss that you love them. Imagine that. I mean, that's a that's a possibility. So, all right. Anyways, uh, jrman.com, jrmahon.com, jrmahon.com, jr at jrman.com. On the email, on the text, there's a number on my website. I'm a spiritual director and mentor. Call me. Hey, get my new book. 
year. It's on my website. Get my new book, Year. Love you. Goodbye. See you on day 15, right? Yeah, something like that. See you, bye. Bye.